Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to this um, time of public worship together, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 119 at verse 33. It's found on page 402 of the Psalter. Teach me, O Lord, the perfect way of thy precepts divine. And to observe it to the end, I shall my heart incline. Give understanding unto me, so keep thy law shall I. Yea, even with my whole heart, I shall observe it eh, carefully. Verses 33 to 40 of Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the perfect way. Yeah. 
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that our request to you would be the same as the psalmist. Teach me, O Lord, the perfect way of thy precepts divine. And like him, we pray that we would be committed to giving the honour that is rightfully yours through obedience to your revealed truth. And yet, even as we utter these very words, we feel a deep sense of shame and hypocrisy because we know, and we know that you know also, that there is something within us that wants to rebel. And so we find ourselves divided, two roads before us. And all too often we go down the road of rebellion, but like the psalmist in another area of scripture who said, Unite my heart that I thy name may glorify. We pray that our heart would be united to your heart, that our will would be united to your will, because in that you will be honoured and we will be blessed. We pray that you'd be with us this evening hour as we gather here on this your day, the one day in seven, the regular pattern you have given to the human race for living, six days of work, then one day of rest, a day of rest in which we engage in the public worship, but also in private worship. O oh Lord, our God, we pray that we would indeed, as a nation, uh, respect these commands of yours, because uh, therein lies health, and then therein lies beauty, and therein lies blessing. We think of this day as a constant memorial to us, reminding us that this is the God who created at the beginning. This is the God who also came into the flow of the human race around two millennia ago for a very specific reason, to redeem such sinners as we are. And we pray that we would always rejoice in that, but we realize this day looks forward as well to an eternal rest for the people of God. There is something hugely attractive in watching people come to the end of life's journey with a peace and a tranquility in their souls that can only come from you and that has as its prospect your immediate presence where sin is no more where sorrow and crying and tears and pain are all cast out because the former things are passed away may we remind ourselves that this day looks back but looks forward also we live in the midst of a world that is so full of heartache and pain but we live in a world that is so bent on destroying all the structures that you have set up that will be of benefit to the human race. But we pray that those people who are in powerful positions, whether it be in terms of wealth or politics or status, and who use it for wrong ends would be brought to naught. And that there would be those raised among us 
that would acknowledge you and the wisdom of God and would know that righteousness alone exalts a nation. Remember those in positions of power and influence, whether in politics or whether with wealth or status, who are having a hard time simply because they have stood by you and honour you. We pray for a topsy-turvy world with all its uncertainty. We think of the of the terrible slaughter going on in in Ukraine just now, not just on the part of Ukrainians, but so many Russians, conscripts who are in great difficulties. O oh Lord our God, we turn heavenwards and we ask, please have mercy upon us. We pray that you'd remember uh, your church in this world across the globe this night, wherever it may be found, sometimes in twos and threes, and indeed sometimes with people who are in, 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 in complete isolation. And we realize that for some reasons or other, there may be people in our own country that are very, very lonely as Christians. Bless them where they are. We remember not only those who are gathered here this night, but others who are joining in with us, who would love to be here but who cannot. We think in particular of some of our office bearers. We think of David McRae. We think of uh, Ricky McRae. We pray that you would help him in the struggles that he is facing at this time. We think of Neil Shaw. Bless these people. We think of Mackie Ross who would be here if he could as he recovers from surgery and indeed there may well be others. We pray, O Lord, that you'd remember us in your mercy as a congregation and that you'd weld us together and that we would indeed use the means of grace that you have given to us. May we remember that the fellowship of the saints is a blessing given by you. May we not fall into the trap of shunning it. May we use all the means of grace you have given to us for the honour of your name and the benefit of our souls. And so be with us, we pray, and be with our loved ones, wherever they may be this night. Please have mercy upon us all. And gather us all to be with yourself in the great beyond, through each of us exercising faith in Jesus as Redeemer and Friend. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 119, but this time at verse 57. Page 404 of the Psalter. Thou my sure portion art alone which I did choose, O Lord. I have resolved and said that I would keep thy holy word. With my whole heart I did entreat thy face and favour free. According to thy gracious word be merciful to me. We'll sing verses 57 to 64 of Psalm 119. Thou my sure portion art alone. Yeah. 
Now let's read God's word as we find it in Psalm number 51. Psalm 51 at the beginning of the chapter to the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And then we'll read in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 22. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22 and at verse 39. And uh, he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. <clears throat> May God bless to us these readings from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the honesty of this book that is before us. It presents so many people, believing people, who did unbelievable things in their sojourn in this world. But we can identify with them And we thank you that these things are recorded in the pages of scripture because there are days when we conclude that we are not your people. That our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And just as your verdict on the human race at the time of Noah was, the thoughts of their imagination of their hearts are only evil continually. We reflect on ourselves and we think that that sums up our own hearts too. But we realize that this is the way it is with your people. So often there is nothing straightforward about 
not your provision for us that is adequate and that is gracious but our response to your adequate and gracious provision for us but we pray that in our time of need we would come to your word and we pray that we would know it we pray that we would store it up in our hearts so that at the moments we are absolutely reeling and we are just about to go under the water that we would find sustenance and rescue in the revealed truth of the Bible so be with us we pray this day O Lord remember all those who were with us this morning we thank you for those who have come to this church for the very first time this day be a blessing to them and we pray that there will be many more who will come to come under the sound of uh, the gospel we pray O Lord that you would be in the midst of your people wherever they are gathered across the globe this night so that um, you would indeed be a blessing to them and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's continue to sing to God's praise this time it's Psalm 126 the song that tells us the huge changes that can take place in the people of God. Zion was the hill in which the temple was built and the people of Zion were the people of God. And I guess that in New Testament times we who are believers are the Zion of God. When Zion's bondage God turned back as men that dreamed were we then filled with laughter was our mouth our tongue with melody they among the heathen said the Lord great things for them hath wrought the Lord hath done great things for us and joy to us is brought and let's remember this uh, in the south in the Negev it was barren it was really dry and most of the year nothing grew there but when the rains came it was almost overnight it flourished and became green as streams of water in the south our bondage Lord recall we'll sing the whole song to God's praise when Zion's bondage God turned back
first version of Psalm 25, page 232 of the Psalter, and it's at verse 15. Mine eyes upon the Lord continually are set, for he it is that shall bring forth my feet out of the net. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. We're continuing our series in this in this particular uh, song. The song that uh, tells us that our experience, our worship of God, isn't just something outward, it, was, it is inward, it involves our soul. To thee I lift my soul. And we know that this song was written by David. And what I'm going to do uh, this evening is we are going to look at what this psalm says about believers getting caught up in in, in traps or in nets and uh, I've taken an example from the Old Testament of a, delete, a believer getting caught up in this trap and, I've t- and that will be David and I'm going to take an example of a New Testament believer getting caught up in this trap and uh, that will be Peter and maybe we can resonate in our own lives with what's going on with them but first of all Mine eyes upon the Lord continually are set, for he it is that shall bring forth my feet out of the net. What is this net that is being spoken about here? You know, there's another of our songs in the Bible that speaks about uh, God uh, releasing us from the fowler's snare. And that's the songs in the Bible, and indeed the whole of the Bible is about taking illustrations from everyday life and applying them in a spiritual way. Now, today, if uh, we want to catch, for example, a bird, people can go out and they can shoot them, the grouse on the moors and the pheasants and whatnot. But we're way back in a day and age, 3,000 years ago, when that's not a possibility. Now, it is true that there were arrows that could have been used in those days, but uh, not everybody had that kind of equipment. And the people would use various devices to try to capture uh, uh, birds. Now, what they would do on some occasions is they would, um, they would dig a hole and then they would put a, a, a camouflage cover on the top and then they would spread some corn or some seed, something that the birds would like, and um, they would come along onto that trap, fall into it. And for, for these creatures, they, in all their innocence, they come along, they, they don't realize what device man has created to capture them, and they're down there just to feed, and before they know it, they're, 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 they're actually in the trap. Now, when the psalmist talks about the fowler's snare, the bird's snare, uh, when I think of a snare, I think of um, a rabbit snare. You know, I don't know if you're allowed to do that nowadays, but certainly when I was a boy, you could go and set a rabbit snare, and you had to go and check them every second day or something like that. Um, But um, did they do that with birds as well? Yes, they did. They would put a snare um, and, and, and there would be somebody nearby and uh, again it's the same idea, food in the, in, in the middle uh, of um, where the snare was and then when the bird would land in it, the, 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 the snare wire would be pulled and the bird would become trapped by, um, by, by its legs. 
Now the thing about these creatures, and of course it wasn't just birds, it was other animals as well. The thing about these creatures is very often the camouflaging was so good that they were in the trap before they knew anything about it. Now does that sound familiar to you on your spiritual uh, sojourn? That the enemy of our souls, sometime in scripture, is depicted as a roaring lion. Now a roaring lion, there's nothing subtle about that. If you meet a roaring lion, you know you're meeting a roaring lion and you'll probably be terrified. It's so out in the open and it's so formidable that it can cause you to go weak at the knee. And if you go weak at the knee in the midst of meeting a roaring lion, you've made it even easier for you to become the lion's prey. But that's the way sometimes the devil comes at at, at people. He comes with such openness and he comes with such ferocity and he comes with such boldness and he comes with such power that he completely develops us. But at the other end of the spectrum, there's no roaring, there's no obviousness. It's hidden, it's subtle, and it's so it's so difficult to detect at times. But sometimes we are in the trap before we know it. Now you would have thought that if people are getting caught in these traps there would be a learning process I've been caught in this trap 50 times before I'm going to be more alert but the sad truth is that we seem again and again and again to fall at the same at the same hurdles and so that's true of the Christian sojourn or the believer's sojourn because it pulls in Old Testament believers as well as those who are in New Testament times people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are saved and even Abraham from 2,000 years before Christ is in this world he sees Christ's day and he rejoices in it and it's Christ himself who tells us uh, these things and yet It does not mean that they're not going to have difficulties in this world. And that brings me um, to talk about the three major areas that the New Testament, in fact the whole of Scripture brings up that uh, the people of God are exposed to. And that is the world, and that is the flesh, and that is the devil. Now let's just go through them quickly. We live in a world in which there are many other people in it. And many of these people are rebellious against God in marked kinds of ways. And they can have a huge influence on us. When young people leave a home congregation or a family in which there are believing people... There is always this worry that the influence of others around them will invade to the extent that they become predominant in uh, their uh, interactions and they bring them them down. 
Now it's not just that there are other individuals out there in the world because this world is made of institutions and many of the institutions of this world are so anti-God. But of course institutions are made up of individuals. So whether it's individuals or people in institutions... The world can have massive uh, influence. And of course it's true that institutions that at one level can be good can be, can be taken over to be not good. I'm talking, for example, of our education system. As we look back on the history of this country, our education system owes a huge amount to the church. Or in fact, we can go back as far as John Knox at Reformation times because John Knox's view was that there would be a church and a school in every parish and you think well why, why, why have a school let's have a church what's the point in having a church if the people can't read the word of God remember, remember in pre-Reformation times do you know we've all got a Bible we've probably got more than one in our homes we don't know that we're alive because in pre-Reformation times, in this country of ours, the Bible was read when they would be able to get to the cathedral or church or whatever it was. It was read in Latin. They hadn't a clue, most people, what was going on. Do you know what we've just been doing? We've just been engaging in congregational singing. That was a huge boost and a huge boon at Reformation at times. And John Knox knew that you needed to educate people so that they could read the Bible, so that they could thrive in the Word of God and the church, and the church could prosper. And so our education system finds its roots in that kind of thinking. But we've got an education system these days, and there are those who want to harness it and they want to um, influence it in a way that is, that is not good. And we've got to be aware of that. We live in a fallen world. And whether it's an individual or an institution, they can have a huge impact on a believer. But then there's the flesh. And we all have within us, forget about the world out there. Just forget about it all together for a moment. What is the really big problem for you and I? And the bottom line is this, it's ourselves, isn't it? That's what Isaiah said when he had his vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And remember, Isaiah's thinking in terms of what I see comes from within. It's, it's my mind that's... A, behind it all and our minds are part of our souls so our souls govern every word we say not only do they govern every word we say they govern every action that we engage in but there's Isaiah and he knows that this people around him I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. He knows that the people around him, it's, it's the world out there that he's talking about. Now we've dealt with the world already. But the reason I'm going back to it is this, before Isaiah says anything about the world out there, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. 
The first problem and the major problem is ourselves and our woeful passions and our woeful desires and our woeful thinking. And we have to be alert to that. So there's the world and there's the flesh ourselves and then there's the devil. And you know, if you think of when the Lord Jesus Christ after his baptism he goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights and let's remember this it's only temptation and I don't mean that in a way that it wasn't severe and harsh for Jesus it was what I mean by that is this he never succumbed to the temptation he never ever sinned if he did we, would, we wouldn't be here tonight and we would not have hope in this world but I want us to remind ourselves of this. The devil tempts us. We're the ones that give in. And then it's our sin. It is our sin. But you remember what the devil wants to do with Jesus out there in the wilderness. The devil says, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you the next thing. If you listen to me and do my bidding. That's it in a nutshell. Now the, the, the devil is just so brazen at times because at the end of the day all the things that he is promising to Jesus Jesus is going to get anyway but he's only going to get them if he continues to render obedience to God. So effectively what the devil is saying he's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut but the subtle bit is this in taking the shortcut He's going to sin. That's the subtlety and the deviousness of, uh, of the enemy. So there are these major areas which the believer has to contend with. And the first day uh, one I want to think about is, is David, the one who wrote this song. But I read Psalm 51 because he also wrote Psalm 51 after he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and against his whole family and against his whole nation. But ultimately, as he says in that song, against thee, thee only have I sinned. There is a man with right thinking. It's not that he didn't hurt others and what he did wrong, he did. But ultimately sin is rebellion against God. Every last sin that we engage in is ultimately us taking on the eternal God. Now if you stop and think about that for a moment, it is just so irrational and it is so, it's so crazy. I mean, how strong are you? How strong am I? We all know something about our own strength. And then we stop and think that this vast universe came into being because this eternal being God uttered the, the divine command, the divine fiat. And you think, you're going to take on this kind of being. And you think, that is madness. That is sheer madness. But that is what sin is. You know, I was listening, I was watching something recently, and it was, um, it was a young lad in America, and um, he was only a teenager, and he thought one of his brothers 
was doing something wrong to his four-year-old sister. Now, th this is what you call craziness. To protect his sister, he murdered her. And when he's been interviewed by the police, he's saying, but I had to do it. I needed to protect her. And you think, oh man, how do you, how do you get your head around that kind of thinking? Now that's an extreme case. But every time we sin, I don't know if you ever stop to try and analyse sin, or, or, or perhaps try to analyse our besetting sins, the sins that we all have major problems with. And these things may differ with uh, each and every one of us, but we all have major uh, besetting sins. I don't know if you've ever tried to stop and analyse, what on earth was I thinking about? And you know, there is no explaining. There is no explaining. I remember... You know, you know in school, in a school setting, when someone, you know, maybe you're in primary school and you do something wrong and the teacher comes along and the teacher's demanding of you, explain yourself, why did you do that? And the child just says, I don't know. And sometimes the teacher would get even angrier. What do you mean you don't know? Explain yourself. And the child can't explain itself because the child really doesn't know. And that's the way it is with us. If we're confronted with sin at times, we just have to say, well, I really don't know why I did that. I, don't, I really don't know why I said that. I really don't know why I think the way I think. And what's it all down to? It's all down to this, that we are flawed. We are seriously flawed. And what David does in Psalm 51 is he puts his hands up and he says, I am seriously flawed and I have taken on the eternal God and I have sinned against him. But there's something good and healthy and wholesome about that. Because if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now which of the major areas came into play in the adultery that David committed and the ongoing lies and murder and whatnot? Well, I think we can think of all major areas. In what sense was it the world? Well, you know this, we really don't know what Bathsheba was up to when she was bathing. Was she innocently bathing herself there? Or was she doing something that was promiscuous and attention-seeking? Because it's amazing what people will do to seek attention at times. Was she doing something there to draw attention to herself? And uh, that, that was part of what captured the mind and the thinking of David at that moment. Well, maybe, maybe. Maybe the world was involved. But... What about the flesh? Well, certainly the flesh is involved because David's desire to have illicit interaction with us is, is very, very uh, clear. And he does what he does to satisfy the desires of the flesh that he shouldn't have done. So certainly his flesh was uh, involved in that. What about the devil? I rather think that the devil was looking at the covenant people of God 
and looking at the king whose heart was a heart after God's own heart. And he's thinking, this would make good currency for me. I can hardly think that he's not in his subtlety working away there behind the scenes. And so there you have in Psalm 51 a song or yes a song a psalm written after David is well possibly the world is involved but certainly the flesh is involved and certainly the devil is involved. Well let's go to the New Testament and look at and look at Peter. What does Peter do after Jesus is captured in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, the whole entourage goes to Caiaphas' house. And they're in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house. And on three separate occasions, Peter is challenged as to who he is. And he is utterly and absolutely denying he has anything at all to do with Jesus of Nazareth. And although we don't read it in the passage that we've read, we do read in the other Gospels that he is denying him with curses and with oaths what's involved here was the world involved here well I'm not sure that's debatable I'm not terribly sure but we can certainly think that the flesh was involved here in what sense was the flesh involved here do you know what it's like when you're in the midst of a crowd of people and the crowd is going one way and you're all alone it is absolutely terrifying and it is absolutely formidable and it can just make you go so weak at the knee and it can just go it can just make you be searching for a port in the midst of the storm and the port that Peter sadly found was the port of telling utter lies and cursing with Oaths that he knew nothing at all about. Why? Because he was terrified. He was really scared. That's why. It's a weakness of the flesh. It's a weakness of being human. And so the flesh was certainly involved. But what about the devil? Well, of course the devil was involved in all of this. Do you know how when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three years, three three odd years before Gethsemane the devil is trying his best to put a spanner in the works and to bring Christ down. Well if that's happening at the beginning of Christ's ministry it most certainly is happening at the towards the end of Christ's ministry and there is in the garden of Gethsemane a battle going on whereby the powers of hell are trying to bring the way of salvation to an end and do we think that that activity finishes when Jesus leaves the garden of Gethsemane and goes into Caiaphas' house no it doesn't no it doesn't He's there with all his machinations and all his subtlety and all his deviousness trying to bring the whole thing to naught. But you know, the, 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 the unbelievable irony of all of this is this. 
that God takes that whole scenario and turns it on its head. The devil is desperate to have Jesus eliminated. But the crucifixion is not the elimination of Christ. The crucifixion is the power of God unto salvation. And that's why in this world when there are so many cases of sadness and pains and pangs and poverty and people come to you and they say, right, where's your God now? And you know, they tell you their story and you think, yeah, that is sad, that is sad beyond belief. What do you say? Well... What you can say is this, that God takes situations that seem at one level to be unbelievably sad and unbelievably hopeless. And he can work them out for good. And they say, how dare you say that? How can you say that? And we say, we dare to say that and we can say that because that's what Calvary was. Calvary was a site of hopelessness and helplessness. That's what it was. No wonder these men lost heart. At one level at any rate. No wonder they lost heart. There was only one of them at Calvary that we know of and that was John. Where were the rest of them? They lost heart, that's what. But this is the God who takes this whole scene that seems so negative and seems such a disaster... And we are here this night and we stand on the basis of the finished work of Calvary. That's God's way and that is God's thinking. And so there's an example. David in the Old Testament and Peter in the New Testament. People who have been believers for a long time. But they're in the net. They've been caught by it. They're trapped. They are ensnared. But did they remain in it? No, they didn't. We know that these men emerged, both David and Peter. And tonight, David has been, at least his soul has been in the immediate presence of God for 3,000 years. For Peter, it's been uh, 2,000 uh, years. What got them out of the mess that they were in? Well, listen to what we read in this particular verse. Mine eyes upon the Lord continually are set. That's where we must look. At every twist and every turn and every pitfall and every net and every trap of our experience in this world as believers. You know, when David was writing Psalm 51, he spoke about the broken bones, and he says very specifically, God broke them. He's telling us that it was exceedingly painful what he went through. In other words, he is speaking about an inward pain that was unbelievably painful, and it was God that put him through all that. Why would God do that to you? Why would a loving God do that to you? Because if David had been left on the path that he was on and Nathan had not come to him, where would David have ended up? Well, he didn't end up in the path he was on. Nathan comes and a conviction of 
sinfulness comes and in the midst of his conviction of sin what does he do he turns God rightward and he writes this amazing song in other words he looked heavenwards he looked towards the Lord did he feel shame enormous shame did he feel guilty about what he had done with Bathsheba? Of course he did. Did he feel guilty about shedding the blood of, of, of Uriah? Some might argue and say, well, I didn't do it. I wasn't anywhere near Uriah when he died. He was nowhere near Uriah when he died, but he was the schemer behind having Uriah put to death for a very particular reason. What does he say in his song? Cleanse me from blood guiltiness. He's turning to this Lord and he's being upfront and he is being honest. And because his eyes upon the Lord are constantly are set, that's why he gets out of the trap. That's why he gets out of the net. We look at ourselves and we ponder our struggle with sinfulness in our earthly sojourn. And as long as we ponder ourselves, we are going to be in trouble. But we don't just look at ourselves, hopefully. We look to the Lord. Because he is the one who at the end of the day causes all things to work together for the good of those I love him. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. We pray that we would bow and worship and adoration of you once again this night. Enable us in the week that we have entered to give you the honor that you are due. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 124, it's page 417 of the Psalter, it's the, no no, it's the second version, it's 418 of the Psalter. Now Israel may say, and that truly, if that the Lord had not our cause maintained, if that the Lord had not our right sustained, when cruel men against us furiously rose up to make of us their prey, then certainly they had devoured us all and swallowed quick for aught that we could deem. Such was their rage as we might well esteem. And as fierce floods before them all things drowned, so had they brought our soul to death quite down. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise. One, two, four. Now Israel may say. <clears throat>
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and forevermore.